Hello and welcome back to the next exciting episode of Tabletop Theater. Last time, our heroes decided to rescue their former cleric compatriot Hildy. Rumored to have the next artifact in the Trial of Faith, the party must move with haste to get her before Siegfried does. In the wake of Diligence's death, Siegfried's timely arrivals and knowledge seem suspect at best. A reunion of sorts is bound to occur. <laughs> Drifter, you're walking up to the top of a hill with a lone gravestone. You can't quite make it out. A drifter walks forward uh, into the gravestone, not seeing anything else around. You see your wife's name written on the gravestone. Drifter is going to fall to his knees in front of the gravestone and sit in silence uh, as... As he kind of of bows his head and takes off his hat. The wind kind of blows softly. It's very calm. And as you continue to look at the gravestone, you notice the name shift. The gravestone itself shifts, becoming that roughly hued makeshift headstone that you made for Brock. Drifter will uh, stand up and look around in confusion confu- where he is and what's going on and start to just run away from the gravestone. As you begin to start moving away from the gravestone, you see the earth itself begin to move. A hand bursting from the ground, grasping. What the hell? Drifter's gonna try to pull his leg away and scream for help. You do so. And as the, the hand continues to grope at you, becomes dust. You see the headstone change one last time. Do you look at what the name is? Yes. It's yours. Lola, you're running through the woods, calling out, calling out for your sister, for Rosalind, for Hildy but no one answers. Amidst the thorns and brambles, you see a familiar cottage house. That same one you first met Siegfried in. And from it, you hear the distinct sound of flies buzzing, many flies buzzing. Um, cautiously... I tread towards the door and push it open. As you open the door, you hear a voice croak out. Help me! You enter into the guest room, but all you see is a pile of rotten, black, Icarus flesh. Chosh, it's dark. The air is putrid and stale. Like a room that has been sealed for years. 
It's so dark. You can slowly, as your eyes adjust, begin to see the room around you. You get a sense that the floor here is stone, and that the room, just from the feeling around, is enormous. You walk, slowly, trying to get a sense of where you are. You see broken statues of angelic figures litter the ground, until you reach the end. A circular pit. From it, a horrific sound. Like a giant masticating, chewing, on something. You hear the distinct sound of cracking of bones. For reasons that Josh himself can't even know, for those those strange moments in dreaming where we can't understand our own actions, Josh just walks into the pit and falls through. You fall. And that moment before you wake up from a jolt, you see something horrible. A giant of yellowish skin its fingers rotten, overgrown, the size of a building. The tea kettle begins to boil. It's past midnight, and all three of you sit about a table by candlelight. Chosh is perhaps irritatingly moving, uh, maybe it's like, a tiny steel ball or a die or like some sort of object that can roll back and forth across the table, stopping it with one finger, pushing it slightly, stopping it with his other finger, pushing it slightly, and is just doing this inside. It clearly like an anxious sort of tick, mm. uh, but without any sort of sense of direction or, you know, speeding up or slowing down. He's just kind of doing it um i think at the same time in the same vein uh lola has edgar perched on her lap and she's mending at a a frayed strap along his zipped up back (laughs) a lot of rhymes um and so she's kind of doing her best to sew up the wounds from the last battle uh and also just kind of stroking his carpeted exterior he's growling in delight <laughs> of being tended to drifter uh, is sitting kind of back in the chair reclining a bit his left hand he's got a whiskey uh poured into a glass and his right hand is on the handle of his gun almost without him even knowing it as if he's ready for a fight at any moment to break out but uh, it is at least a comfort to know that we're contained up here, somehow separated from the madness of what's going on on the earth or on the ground right now. I, I, Drifter, do you really think we're prepared for the pit? I guess we'll, uh, I guess we'll find out. There's no way to know but to go forward. I mean, we just narrowly escaped the siege on my house. I, I just... 
I'm... You, you know I have reason to be concerned. Yeah, we, we've been through hell, we've been through battle, we've been through three years. I mean, those were fun. <laughs> we've come a long way since Josh fell down an elevator shaft. Josh <laughs> <laughs> will uh, sort of jolt up, uh, like back arched a little bit more, uh, and look around. Look! Look at Drifter and Lola. Clearly, having heard his name and not much else, uh, <laughs> but just from the the tone and sense, gets the feeling that something he wouldn't have liked mentioned was mentioned. <laughs> sort of lo- just in in the almost like shrouded darkness, just the helmet mm-hmm. goes from right to left <laughs> and from left to right, and then he waits for someone to say something. And then flicks uh, whatever toy <laughs> he's been playing with uh, off the table. Oh, Josh, you needn't worry. We were just, we're just so glad to have you here. It's been wonderful working with you. You have no idea how special you are. <laughs> you sweet baby angel. We had everyone on the blip sign this card for you. <laughs> <laughs> But Josh, dear, you must be safe. Josh, I'm just glad that you made it all right. You made it out all right after that terrible (laughs) drop down the Terrible elevator. It's been a while since then. (laughs) We've been through quite a lot since then. I I never did get a get well card, so. (gasps) I was waiting at your bedside Every day and night. And yet. Okay, um, Edgar, um, get me a card. <laughs> and so I, I, I get some paper and sign it. I get well and I pass it to Drifter. <laughs> at the pen. Drifter will look at it and not make any motion. Clearly, to it's pen. important <laughs> to him. So, Drifter, I think you should sign the card. Drifter will reach out to where the pen is. And go right past it and grab a glass <laughs> and pour uh, a, a whiskey in the glass and slide it over to Chosh. So Chosh, uh, you excited to see Hildy again? Chosh will uh, t- take the the glass of whiskey and do this sort of awkward realization that you've probably seen 15 million times at this point that he cannot ingest <laughs> in front of anyone else without removing his helmet. Well, I was just thinking, has Josh ever drunk, like, alcohol? Probably not, to be honest, outside of maybe, like, a ceremony. But that wasn't, you know, that's not whiskey. It's more of, like, a religious event. Josh, honestly, we've, we've seen your I face can, I cannot go down that route, but, we, like... We've it's worked like, together for so long. You mustn't be shy. You're thinking of character. Us. I'm not. <laughs> it's just a drink, Josh. You need it. Be a man. Take off the damn helmet. Have a drink with us. Come on, kid. <laughs> Don't you want to be cool? <laughs> <laughs> I even I I, I offer my uh, my empty. I drain my teacup and offer it to Drifter. Drifter will pour a, a hearty glass. Look. Over. Josh, I'm partaking in it as well. I think we, the three of us, should celebrate how far we've come. 
This is uh, lit by candlelight, correct? Yes. Okay. Chosh will grab the drink and say, fantastic. <laughs> On the count of three, we drink. <laughs> One. That's generally not how you do it, but okay. Oh. One, uh, fair enough, fair enough, fine. One. Two. And on three, Chosh will grab whatever fire extinguisher I'm sure is out with the little little thimble-looking thing, <laughs> put it over the flame, and in the darkness, lift up his helmet, take a drink, and slam it down on the table. All right, roll a dexterity check to do that. Okay. <laughs> Five. Okay. So plus dexterity, that's six. Okay, so you, do, you, do, you do spill a lot of it on yourself. <laughs> Ch- but nobody sees it. <laughs> Chosh will make um, the combined sound of someone who is not used to alcohol, drinking alcohol, with spilling a liquid all over yourself. <laughs> so sort of like, <laughs> just a very uncomfortable sound. And then slam the glass on the table <laughs> and say, tasty. <laughs> Drifter is going to look over at Lola and, and just do a grin and, and tap her glass and drink <laughs> normally. I, I have the giggles, I'm afraid. <laughs> it's the day of your arrival. Chosh uh, swings by uh, Catherine uh, in the midday mm-hmm. while she's piloting mm-hmm. and says, uh, he just sort of uh, walks in and uh, awkwardly stands there. And waits for Catherine to say something or do something that initiates conversation in some way. <laughs> um, uh, Josh? Hello? Hello? Um, is there any particular reason why you're here? You don't tend to visit me. Well, that's partly why I'm here. We've worked parallel for so long but i don't know Catherine. i mean i don't really feel that you know who i am or i know who you are well josh it's uh good to talk to you i guess uh you're right i don't really know you super well i guess i know drifter and robin i guess the most but uh sure what did you want to know exactly josh will look at the um I assume complicated interface that one uh, works with on an airship, uh, perhaps a knob or some sort of switch. Mm-hmm. And whatever position it's in, he shifts it and says, what does this do? All right, roll 1d20. Okay. Oh, no. Have you heard of the high elves? That is a 14. Okay, so nothing terrible happens. Uh, so what you did was actually switch on a radio uh, that now broadcasts to the rest of the uh, the ship. Um, <laughs> uh, Catherine says, oh, uh, well, that just activates the comms. Josh flicks it back. Aww. Aww. <laughs> Josh will g- go to push a, a button, a, like an inauspicuous button on the dashboard. Okay, roll another 1d20. Okay, well, I, I'm not committing to pushing it yet, but he's just like, he's moving his finger over sure. it. This is a four. Uh, she she notices that this is probably going to be a uh, reoccurring 
problem right now. <laughs> yeah. And she says, okay, so how about we don't touch these? Um, Chosh, she kind of steps away from the steering wheel. And for the most part, the ship kind of can work on its own so long as it's not really you know, doing anything particularly mm. difficult. She says, is there something you wanted or did you just come in here you know, to bother me? Well, I didn't mean to bother you. I just, this airship's a very impressive thing and I don't understand it. And I guess I wanted to. Well, yeah, Josh, there's a lot to understand about it. I mean, I'm still sort of wrapping my head around it, to be honest with you. I mean, I wasn't trying to... Oh, no. I mean... (laughs) Oh, no. I've kind of just had to learn as I go, to be real. You know, it's... I mean, I was a police officer before, as you knew. Well, that's... Yeah. I mean, Arthur made this airship. I mean, the airship's, you know, frankly, fairly new thing. So this was pretty cutting edge at the time. I think I've done pretty well for myself. Was it hard to change yourself that way? It was hard to give up on my life and... Well, I thought I was doing things for justice and for a good cause for a long time. And it was definitely a shift to have to say goodbye to that life. It wasn't what I thought it was going to be. Josh will sort of uh, swallow uh, and and make a a glum face under his mask and, uh, and say... Do you think you want to go back to being a police officer? Maybe one day. If we make it through this, it'd be nice. But the problems I had weren't... The problems I had were with the job more than what I ended up doing. Uh, Josh will... It's at this moment that the uh, door opens... And you see uh, Robin carrying in uh, two coffees. And she says, Hey, Catherine, I brought it in. Oh, uh, Josh. This is a surprise. I'm a very surprising man, Robin. <laughs> right. Um, <laughs> she sets those down and says, uh, I'm sorry, Josh. I didn't get you a, a I didn't know you were in here. I would have brought you a cup. I hear you're a pretty big drinker these days. Josh will, uh, Josh will actually laugh at that a little bit. He'll give a, a Josh chuckle. And Can we hear such a chuckle? <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> Cannon, that's what he said. Um, and, uh, yeah, we'll give a Josh chuckle. And then he'll uh, look at the coffees and suddenly, suddenly feel excluded from the situation. Uh, and... Say, okay, well, I'll, I'll let you two get to it then, I suppose. And he'll walk out. Drifter, you walk to the door of Arthur's private quarters of the ship. You knock on the door and he bids you to enter. As you enter, he's sitting, turned away from you. He says, I've been talking to Mercy these past few days. Has he been more descriptive? Yes and no. You know, it's odd. Why would, it, why would angels choose to name themselves after vices and virtues? I mean, wouldn't you want to be a virtue? 
I mean, have you ever really thought about it? Why choose greed or gluttony? To me, it speaks of a guilty conscience. When I was a kid, I thought the angels represented the best of us. But now that I've met them, it definitely seems like they represent the worst of us. I think I am evidence of seeing the worst of the, that they can do. Listen, Arthur, I know that I didn't have your back before, and I apologize. But I've seen what these religious, these artifacts can do. And we can't just ignore them. He turns around at that and he says, those artifacts, or those god seeds, you know, it's not just belief they're draining. It's like they take life itself away from people and the environment, dooming wherever they are. To me, perhaps in order to be an angel, you must create your own devils. When we get there, Arthur, I hope you know everybody on this ship, they're good people, but you can't always rely on good people. When we get that artifact, the only safe hands are our own. Sometimes, Drifter, you have to be willing to sacrifice. Sacrifice anything or anyone to stop horrible things from happening. He sort of restlessly sort of moves his fingers about his staff. With his eye, with that little eye and that amber orb about it. I look forward to your return. Very well. If you make it back, I'll we'll discuss it then. I feel like it's like it's like nice Darth Vader and like nice Emperor Palpatine talking. Yeah. Like. <laughs> So, so he's not coming with us to the... To the he's not, no. Okay. He, he's unwilling to... That, that. makes a Because I, I, I was going to... I made it clear that, like, right, so only him and I, I want him to touch this, the artifact. Is that, is that clear? Oh, yes, yes, yes. Yeah. yes sorry, so I was confused. Sure it was clear that, yeah, that I don't want any of you guys touching that I artifact. I mean, I... That I will fight you. Oh, there's going to be a fight. <laughs> I'm fishing for a fight, brother. It's the evening before our arrival. Mm-hmm. And so I am with Rosalind in our chambers, and I am making sure that she knows her evening routine. So, Rosalind, dear, so first we brush our hair, so a hundred strokes, right, to keep that luscious blonde hair, that luscious blonde hair nice and silky, right? Is that is that canon that Rosalind has blonde hair? It is, right? Sure. There's been no discussion of it. I thought I'm had, pretty sure we've talked about hair before. I thought she had black hair. Okay, then I'm not going to say that. No, no, hair. but I'm, a, I'm, but I'm not. I, I is the canon that 100 strokes is needed to get silky hair? Is that in like the early 20th century? Yes. So, 100 strokes before bed. Do you hear me? She nods. Excellent. And so once we brush our hair, what do we do then? She jumps into bed. No, 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 no. And I... <laughs> I gently grab her by the little feet and pull her out. <laughs> grab her by the hair. I gently pull off the sheets and pick her up. 
pop her back on the ground. No, Rosalind, we go to the lavatory and we wash our face with soap. Now we've washed our face, do you remember what else we need to do? She picks up a toothbrush. <gasps> Good girl! And so we make sure to put it under the tap. So I watch her go ahead and do that. And now we're done getting ready for bed. So come on, off to bed. She hops into bed. Yes, very good girl. And I tuck her in and I say, uh, which book would you like to read tonight? Um, she points to a huge one, the largest book available. Oh, excellent. Great choice, my dear. And so it's at my big tome of fairy tales and so i flip the pages and say stop when you want to pick the story is it it by the the brothers brim the the sisters pim she stops at a a story that she likes (laughs) the warlock and the The iguana man (laughs) warlock and the mushroom man I read that as a young boy, Josh says, peeking his Get head in. Get out of my room! Get out of my room! I threw a Standing shoe in the <laughs> closet. Standing in the closet. Roslyn. Um, so. Read a passage for us. <laughs> Tell me five things about it. <laughs> Tell me a fact about well, all the characters. Well, if you're not familiar with the story of the warlock and the mushroom man, I, I, I will not do a good job of telling you the story just off memory. You have to read we it. Had the book. You have fun? Yeah, yeah, you have um, fun. Well, I, you're not in the room. It's just me and Rosalind. She speaks for the until... first time saying. <laughs> Continue, please. So, uh, Rosalind, tonight, I think, rather than me reading the story, I think I will ask one of our friends who will be taking care of you while I'm away, uh, join in. So I um, leave over the book on the side of her bed, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, I briskly walk out of the room into the hall mm-hmm. and rap on uh, Mercy's door. Oh, okay. Um, Excuse me, Mercy, it's time. Uh, the door opens, and the giant man sort of ducks his head under, and he says... Very well. What is the tale tonight, child? It's the warlock and the mushroom man. Aren't you excited? I can't say that I'm familiar. Oh, well you and Rosalind will have such a marvelous time reading it. Come, 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 come. Quickly, quickly. She's waiting. He goes into the other room and you begin hearing someone uh, read probably in the worst storytelling voice you've probably ever heard. Just completely monotone. says... There once was a mushroom man named Figgledy Pig. He lived in the button-top forest. And it's just, like, incredibly dumb. <laughs> oh, and, well, the whole time, Lola is watching this odd but lovely pair um, get ready for bed. And, well, she's trusted Mercy to... Mercy, and as well as Catherine, uh, to look after Rosalind while she's gone. She can't help but feel a, a pang of, of worry for this little one that she's tried to protect. Mm. And 
still this 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 little girl who hasn't spoken she she just can't really bring herself to say goodbye but this at least is a consolation It's the time of your arrival. Lola, Drifter, Chosh, you're joined by Robin. All of you are getting ready, preparing to descend, when you get the feeling like the entire ship is beginning to vibrate. Slowly at first, but then it begins to become more and more significant. Robin turns to you, Chosh, and says, Josh, have you been messing with the control rooms again? Not today. <laughs> Robin goes over to uh, a speaker in the cargo loading bay where you all are. She says, uh, Catherine, uh, what's going on here? Catherine responds and says over the loudspeaker, uh, I'm not exactly sure, but it seems like as we're going over the pit, the, something is interfering with the ship. I'm going to have to let you down earlier. If you need an emergency pickup, just shoot a flare, but I don't think it's a wise idea for me to stay over this very long. You, the ship begins to slowly stop vibrating quite so much as it goes towards the edge of the pit rather than directly over it. The cargo sort of hold opens up. You see those wires dangle for you to jump on to descend all the way down. And each of you grabs one and descends. You land in what is, frankly, a ramshackle sort of, well, effectively, what has been a penal colony for people mining up this, the refuse of the pit for precious bits of metal. The buildings here are in complete de decay, and frankly, it's hard to tell if, they're, if it's because it's, they just have nothing or if they're uninhabited. But it definitely seems now, at least, that they're uninhabited. The entire town actually feels empty as the four of you begin walking towards the edge of the cliff. Robin says, There should be an elevator or something to take us down. You guys all right for this? You ready to get Hildy back? Ready as we'll ever be. Yes, most certainly. All right. This isn't exactly the most welcoming sign. Figured someone would at least be here still. Hmm. Each of you boards the elevator. It's uh, basically just a metal cage and... There's no music that plays to make it feel any better, Chosh. Ugh. So you pull the switch, and it begins to shoot down, frankly, fairly unsafely. And as you go, you go sort of see between sort of geological air, geological layers of time, but instead of rock formations, it seems to be geological layers of debris of times long past. You see strange boxes with glass screens. You see automobiles that appear completely foreign to what you believe them to be these days. You see piles of yellow toys with one eye, blue pants on them. As you eventually reach the bottom, you see a huge pile of just, uh, like, these strange 
sort of toy cats that appear to be like little clocks, just in complete, you know, just junk all over the place, strewn all about. The pit here is hundreds and hundreds of feet deep. It's like cavernous and labyrinthine debris. You begin walking. How do you try to locate where you're going? What do you do? Um, what, what do we see around us? Well, you see many branching pathways of sort of refuse. There's about five different paths. Uh, you know, it's, it's fairly poorly marked, you know? Maybe some uh, rudimentary mining equipment has been left for some time strewn about, but you don't see any particular signs of life at the moment. So, I don't know if this has ever come up before, but Chaj is pretty knowledgeable about uh, religion. Mm-hmm. And um, I'm wondering if I could make a religion role to just in the sense of like having the sense of where an object like this would be where a god seed would be in this sort of place and what it would gravitate towards. I know that we know it's in the center logically, but beyond that, that sort of intuition of just being aware of where these sorts of things usually end up. Mm-hmm. Yeah, sure. Roll. Yeah. You can have advantage to that roll. That is an eight. Mm-hmm. So I really, that is 16. You get a sense that it tends to accumulate near very dangerous things. And it tends to attract sort of warped senses of realities the closer you get to it. So anything that appears to be particularly abnormal, despite this entire area sort of being abnormal, is something that would probably be indicative of the path to go. Chosh looks for the most dangerous path, the one that just hits him in the gut and makes him think, <laughs> oh, don't want to go down there. And he, uh, I wanted to say, hold out to his sword. He doesn't really have a sword. He just sort of like, points uh and says this is the way we must go and uh begins to take some steps all right roll a 1d20 okay 20 20 20 nice natural 20 that's about as best as you can go take that (laughs) beat that well it's pretty clear as you begin to walk that you're definitely going on the correct path what's indicative of this is well, why don't you all roll a perception check? Am I rolling? I didn't know you had a birds aren't real shirt. Oh, you've seen this strip? I love birds aren't real. You know about it? Yeah. Oh, are you joining the movement? Of course. Thank you. The government Fine. just wants our birds. Wants what? They're, they're not real. They're just surveillance objects. Okay, I rolled two. Great. I rolled four. Amazing. I rolled six. So good, guys. Um, <laughs> none of you seem to notice, um, but all about you, there is movement. Perhaps you mistake them as rats moving. But in reality, large shapes are running amidst the sort of arch-like debris above you, watching you, waiting. these rats are really active. (laughs) Not that I've really noticed. (laughs) Not that you've really noticed. Um, And unfortunately, as you're wandering down this path, it seems to be opening up. And it seems like you're getting closer and closer to the destination the metal here becomes more twisted, the landscape more warped. Like, the ground itself has become glassy and almost obsidian-like. And as you're getting closer and closer, suddenly you're waylaid from all sides. But you wake up, 
Each of you in a cage. Those damn rats. Each of you wakes up in a separate cage. You come to coughing, your heads throbbing, your eyes bloodshot, vague memories of inhaling some noxious fume and falling one by one begin to come back into your head. You look groggily around your small sort of lodgings and you notice that you're not alone. Each of you is chained to another person. Drifter, you're chained to Robin's good arm. You notice that all of your equipment has been taken, but you get off pretty easy compared to the other two. No. Lola, you're chained to a woman. A familiar woman. Her features somewhat snake-like. God damn it! No! <laughs> it's Shay, the member of the Heenan. I recoil from her. It's difficult. Josh. Don't, don't do this. You look down, following the chain to the once immaculate features covered in grime and mud of Siegfried. Drifter is going to immediately look around and see if he sees equipment anywhere. Uh, you do look around. All right, sure. Why don't you roll a perception check? 17. Well, you see quite a lot around you. So you can see uh, the cage next to you is is uh, Lola's, and the cage after that is Chosh. But you can look out directly ahead of you. You can see that there's sort of like a, there's a variety of cages lining this hall, and that down the hall there's sort of like an equipment area as if people are being armed for something. They seem to be being armed with incredibly rudimentary sort of tools sort of like makeshift weapons and makeshift armor uh but you definitely see equipment it's quite far away you see sort of big ogre-like creatures uh sort of walking around you see one sort of scrawny one in a sort of metal box different than your own sort of like a call box where one might come up and ask somebody for something and this creature has like one eye is like an eight ball and it seems to be talking to the other ones um but that's what you see yes there's equipment is that my equipment i mean that's what I'm looking for. Oh, you don't see your equipment anywhere, but you see you see equipment nearby. You have no idea where any of your things are. You don't have no idea where Edgar is. Am, uh, oh. I just have to ask, so I can. Am I am I like st- no armor, like stripped? Yeah, just rags. Okay. Yeah, this this is a this is a rough situation. Yeah. Wait, what what happened to my dress? <laughs> rags. What, yeah. what, what, <laughs> we never actually discussed how my gauntlet mm-hmm. knows what I wanted to do. We didn't. It has a mental link with you. Okay, so it's bonded to you. So, so Drifter will will try to to talk to. I mean, he knows that it's going to be far away. It'll take some time, even if he can connect at all. But he's going to try to connect with the gauntlet and have it try to sneak its way back here. Okay, that's fun. I can. Uh, you can take as much time as you need. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I like that. Signal. I almost kind of like uh, like a side adventure that involves like, your your arm and Edgar. and like just like hiding behind. No. Yeah, just your arm and Edgar sort of just like walking and like uh, <laughs> that's the side that's the side story. Do do either of you two do anything with your uh, new bunk mate? We're uh, like oh, literally here. chained together. Oh, yeah, you're literally How? chained by what? By your arm. You have like a chain, and there seems to be some sort of runes written on it, connecting you to uh, her, to Shay. Shay says, "Well, it seems you finally woken up. Got enough beauty rest." Oh, shut up, you old hag. I'm going to try to make the most of the situation. Would appreciate your help. Um, 
crap, that doesn't help at all. Um, I'm trying to make sense of the ruins, but uh, uh, what would that be, Arcana? Yes. Uh, so I, I that's an eleven. You only get a sense of uh, these rooms are quite archaic. Actually, mm. it's very hard to understand them, uh, and they're pretty poorly carved. So you only really understand one, and you just see the word linking. Linking, of course, linking. What help does that do? <sighs> Goodness. Josh, Siegfried looks over to you and says, Well, fancy meeting you here. If I had known you were coming, I would have, well, cleaned up a bit, but you'll have to make do with this. Sorry. Josh will not acknowledge that and will instead say, How's Argus? He's fine. Thanks for asking. He spoke very highly of you. He's smarter than you. I'd watch out for him. I, I'm sure he'll watch out all over the place. He's covered in eyes, after all. Yes, you're very clever, Siegfried. Uh, Drifter, I mean, I don't have much to say with Robin, but uh, Drifter's going to kind of help Robin up and try to t- t- look at the locking mechanism of the cage. I'm sure Robin will help out you know, to get us there. Sure, yeah. You can have advantage on your role. Robin will assist you in any way she can. Yeah, ten. Ten. Um, so you guys look around, uh, you, it's not particularly complicated. It just seems like you need a key Mm -hmm. for the most part, but you do not have a key. Mm -hmm. Uh, you don't have any particular tools, so it's quite hard for you to open a lock right now. And are there any guards? Yes. Yeah. There are definitely people that give the sense of sort of like guards or like muscle or some sort. Uh, this new spell polymorph. Yeah. That I just used. It says, um, spell transforms a creature you can see within range. Can I, can, can I transform? Yes, of course. Okay. Um, well. Be a snake. <laughs> of course. That would be fun. Terrible. Not, uh, this is already a nightmarish situation. Uh, so, um, Shay, I'll be seeing you. Uh, some help you've been. Uh, and I just kind of snap my fingers and transform into, um, or try to Use polymorph to transform into uh, a jumping spider. You turn into a jumping spider. Uh, the chain remains on you. No! Magically shrunken. What the still hell? Still connected to shade, but you are a magic. You are this tiny spider. And I start hopping. I'm hopping mad. Uh, you this get, is ridiculous. <laughs> you, you can hop as far as you want, but you can't go further than the chain's length out of the cage. This I, is horrible. I just have to ask, has the, the length of the chain changed at all like does it sl- do the length it just becomes it just slowly gets smaller okay, yeah yeah um I mean, maybe you can get in the lock she says yeah i tried that real fast actually didn't work out so well if you're not going to help please do shut up i would change back before the guard comes um but i, I think i will do as well suggested and try to crawl around um the cage mm-hmm. up and down and kind of examine the lock too um, you're small enough to fit in the lock. Can I try to maneuver it? Uh, sure, if you so desire. Uh, what, should I roll anything? Uh, yeah, you can roll a, <laughs> I guess, uh... Sleight of hand, or... Tell it, I don't know. Yeah, I guess sleight of hand. It's, it's a weird sort of check. I've never really had someone become a tiny spider <laughs> and then, uh, try to pick a lock. So we'll, uh, we're in body. uncharted ground, yeah. A small <laughs> body. smash yeah. against it? <laughs> I, let's roll an athletics check, because it's kind of more like moving, like, heavy pegs. Okay, we'll try... <laughs> 
But you have to use spider Ooh, stats. Oh, that's an 18. With wow. athletics? Wow. Yeah, 19 all right. with, with minus, minus one. one. <laughs> Amazing. Wow. Uh, all right. So this little tiny spider sort of crawls into the uh, crawls into the keyhole and begins unlocking your cage. And eventually you, the door sort of creaks open. Uh, you see, you see Shay pull you back basically away from it uh, as the door opens. Says, "Well, I guess you're not entirely worthless after all." Can I? Okay, I will transform and shut the door, but of course not lock it. Transform back to my sure normal state. You're you're in the cage. Um, the guard, one of the guard, uh, the ogre guards, walks over to you and he says to all to your group. He says, "Right, well." You lot are up next. Grab something. I'm the quartermaster. Get in the rink. Pardon, I think I was asleep for the instructions and also the general introduction. Um, my name is Lola. Uh, I'm terribly unfamiliar with my environment, so I... He uh, makes a, like a swing at you, uh, but you dart backwards in time, and he says... You'll talk when talk to, maggot. So you just talked to me, so I imagine that is a prompt for me to go ahead speaking. Um, yes, terribly rude behavior for a guest. Um, I may advise you to <laughs> <All right>. uh, <laughs> be he's more gonna, polite and not gonna, attack those gonna take, who come into He has like a sort of stick with him, like a metal pole, yes. and he jabs it in. And as he hits you with it, you get zapped with electricity, and you take... Not much, but you, okay. <laughs> you take two damage. But not just you taking two damage. You see Shay also shudder as if being electrocuted. Right. Go to the quartermaster. He goes to put a key into your lock. And he says, <sighs> Did I? <sighs> Uh-oh, did you not lock our cage? You could get in terrible trouble with the quartermaster. He just opens the door. <laughs> He goes to the two other cages. What was your name again? I'm going to talk to you about the No, I'm sorry. Please don't. No, no, I didn't say that. I didn't say it for real. I didn't say it for real. He gets shocked for another no! three points of damage. So and, Shay. And Shay says, would you shut up? <laughs> um, he unlocks the rest of your cages and, and gestures for you to, to move forward. Chosh observing uh, this interaction between Shay and and Lola will uh, as he's walking out purposely and violently kick his foot against <laughs> the side of the cage like very very hard yeah uh and just sort of see if Siegfried does anything uh roll 1d4 okay Four. You take four damage. Uh, you see Siegfried grasp his foot and say, Ow! Really? My mistake. Sorry. Whoa. Interesting. So where is the, where's the guard? Uh, he's just gesturing to that sort of call-out box where that I mentioned before where the quartermaster is, the sort of lanky sort of goblin-like folk who has like a okay. eight ball for an eye. Which is very cool. Just to look at Robin and and, and shrug. And start walking forward. All right. You just go up to the booth? Yeah. All right. Well, you uh, go up there. You see the quartermaster who, and he says, What can I do for you, gentlemen? I'm eatable. What, what weapon do you use? Hmm? In what context? 
What? Kill. Killing. Killing what? Uh, he's never really philosophically <laughs> thought about that so much. Um, so, uh, each other? Anything? Well, Robin, uh, we're in a tough situation here. How do you think we proceed? I doubt they'll make us kill each other right off the bat. But, uh, I mean, we'll stand a better chance with weapons at least. We gotta make this look good. So, what do you guys want from the quartermaster? It's a great question. What are our options? Yes, <laughs> whatever. Uh, I, would I would say, let us go. Let us go. That's a pretty good option. <laughs> I was going to more in the vein of, uh, you pick what you want and describe it in terms of, like, trash and tell me how that works as a weapon. You're obviously not going to find a gun, mm-hmm. but uh, you, you could find other things there. Drifter will uh, look for a, long, a whip or some sort of long rope that he can use. Okay. Uh, yeah, so you it's kind of... That's, a, that's really damaged. Like, that sounds not something used against a friend. <laughs> I, I guess I, I, I'll start with the whip, because I gotta go Indiana Jones. Okay, so he goes, he goes, oh, yeah. Yeah, sir. He picks up a sort of, like, bundled bits of, like, sort of metal wire and cords that kind of works sort of like as a cat of nine tails sort of situation. I mean, one is particularly longer than the others, if that's what you're looking for. Uh, it's kind of got, like, a spiky kind of ball at the end of it. He gives that to you to use for this um anybody else want anything uh robin picks up a pretty rudimentary sort of slingshot sigrid picks up a large sort of serrated sword looks like it's kind of like you know stapled together to itself pretty crappily made full of too many different parts to really be structurally sound josh will take uh these uh it's like a makeshift I want to say brass knuckles, but they don't necessarily have, they're not brass in this situation at all. It's like just random spiked objects mm-hmm. in a on a wrap that you can wear on your hands. Yeah. But so so it's, like it's a punching weapon. So like sort of like sheet metal that's been like wrapped around with barbed wire. Exactly. Yeah, yeah but but in a wearable way. Yeah. Uh Lola, what do you want? I think uh Lola will catch the eye of Shay and using message will whisper to her, Shay, um, my impression of what's about to happen is uh, we will be fighting for the entertainment of these curious, miserable little creatures. Um, So as much as I would like to engage in combat with you, always, um, would it not be in our best interest to try to find a way out of here? Yes. The second I get a chance, I'm getting out of here. Well, perhaps we shouldn't do much in terms of battling and instead keep an eye on our situation or in our surroundings and get out and then we can fight. Just try not to get me hit. And she goes and she gets two pretty shabbily made knives. Hmm. Okay. And um, I think I will find, like, <laughs> she Lola will rummage through this trash that is, I mean, just been fashioned to make weapons and it's all rather unsightly. And so I think she'll just grab um, the, the top of a trash can, like a, a gleaming 
um, aluminum trash can to, with which to use this shield. Mm-hmm. Okay. C- can I just, um, can I go back in time and add a, a, a little thing that I do? Sure. So when Chosh is actually picking up his, I guess I'll call it a gauntlet without, uh, with lack of a better term. Is mm-hmm. there a better, spike? I guess it's, sure. it's, it's uh, whatever. His fist, his, his spikes. When, when Chosh is picking them up, he, uh, accidentally uh air quotes accidentally uh jams his finger onto one of the spikes sure it deals you and Siegfried both one damage yeah and then chash like shakes his hand off and puts it on and looks at Siegfried and says so clumsy today (laughs) (laughs) he he glares at you um interesting all right now that you've been outfitted with your rudimentary gear you begin walking to three and you are escorted to three separate zones but as you're walking down the hall you can begin to start hearing the throngs and cheers of a raucous crowd of inhuman sort of creatures you see one person being led back to the cages you don't get quite a big look at them they're fairly small with a sort of mask about their face you hear the you hear uh you hear the announcer say and that was the brawler ladies and gentlemen now up next we have a triple threat. Bits of new meat against our best and brightest. Let's bring them out. And each of you is led to a separate sort of third of a circle. Uh, the walls here are sort of like sheet metal. Above you is a sort of cage. You know, interwoven like a chain link sort of fence. And there's chain link fences between you all. You see about you in a, in this circle are rows and rows of seating of these crowds. Of these sort of ghoulish sort of folks uh but you do notice one thing that stands out and that's a throne and while you cannot see exactly the features of the person there you get a sense that there is a sort of uh fairly small person there sitting on the throne who gives off sort of a holy sort of vibe the announcer continues and says you will all be fighting for the glory of the priestess of pain in our first match, we have a loathsome cowboy and a one-armed dwarf versus... And he says, The Thrasher! And from a another door, you see basically a man just covered and covered in trash with blades that are completely impractical, sticking out from all a- angles, almost as if he's just going to try to just run into you to, to, to hurt you. In our next cat fight, we have two lovely ladies versus... The bear and the clown. You see a man with a sort of yellow bear mask. It looks very happy. It looks kind of dirty and old and broken. Um, you see the the other man, you know, also wearing all of this trash-like armor. You see their faces like this white clown face with, you know, red lipstick, big red hair, like a large sort of nose, uh, smiling at you behind these masks. Um, that just cannot be practical. No. <laughs> just... No. <laughs> I know that you just specifically described the last guy as impractical. <laughs> that is extremely impractical. So I see we're doing Attack of the Clones. <laughs> I do not know how that, how does that work out. Oh, I forgot about that. <laughs> Jesus Christ. So, I forgot about that fucking movie, man. At long last, we, we found it. long last, guys. We found Dagobah. And finally, we have two holy men against... A mounted beast. You see a man 
riding sort of like what is effectively a many-legged sort of centipede, something that you would likely find scurrying about a trash heap such as this. And each of you can roll for initiative. This podcast is sponsored by taking a two-hour lunch. Why not? (laughs) You've earned it. (laughs) Fuck Todd in accounting. (laughs) Anyway. This podcast is brought to you by Clockhead out of 10. (laughs) First hour is bullshit. (laughs) That's very true. All right.